Hey everyone, I'm Jasper. And I'm Stefano. And welcome to Make the Jump, where our mission is to find unique experiences, perspectives, and mindsets of individuals from all walks of life. If there's one thing we know, success comes in many different forms, and it's our goal to find out just how diverse it can be. The purpose of this podcast is to share with you, the listener, what we learn from some of the most successful people we know. So let's jump right in. Today's guest is a humble and driven actor. He developed his love for acting at a young age, and since then, he's gone on to play countless roles in movies, television, and theater. Most notably, he starred in the hit TV series Suits as the lead protagonist for close to a decade. Without further ado, please welcome Gabriel Mott. Gabriel, welcome to Make the Jump. We are happy to have you from New York City. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I am, uh, I am excited to be here. I am excited to make the jump with you both. Um, and uh, I'll also say that um, I'm incredibly inspired by you guys, um, what you're doing, how you're doing it, and... Um, just know that you know whatever is expressed or shared um, in this conversation. Um, just know that you know for me, my life is uh, it's it's in process, and so um, there are no absolutes. Um, and uh, you know, I think when you know we explore different ideas about success or taking risks. They're just my ideas. Um, and, um, you know, I'm just curious about them. So, uh, I, I'm really happy to be here and, uh, I look forward to talking with you guys. Well, we appreciate you coming. We, we really, really do. do yeah. yeah. Um, I'll just start on that before we even get into a question. I think that mentality within itself is like really, really awesome. Um, just being so open and just saying like, this is where I'm coming from and it doesn't mean it's the right way or the wrong way. Um, I think a lot of people like nowadays tend to be like, this is the key to success. Here's the key to success. Do this, do this, do this. There's so many routes. There's so many different approaches. There's, there's just so many things that go into being a successful individual and defining that success for yourself. So I appreciate you um, doing that and being a role model and, and, and communicating that to everyone because that's essential to being happy and finding meaning on your own. Um, all right, so let's get into it. Um, I guess first off, let's kind of just start with growing up and, and how you fell in love with acting and like a little, you know, kind of intro to how you've come to where you are today? Yeah. So, um, I, you know, as you know, Jasper, because you're my nephew, (laughs) your dad's my brother, um, my (laughs) older brother. Um, I am the third child of four. Um, I grew up in LA. Uh, I was born in New York and, um, raised in Westchester till I was five and uh, 
you know, spent some time in Stratford, Ontario for nine months while my father was doing repertory theater at the Shakespeare Theater in Stratford, Ontario in Canada. And um, we moved to LA because he was uh, one of the last contract players at Universal. And um, there was a huge opportunity for him as a PhD um, dramatic literature uh, professor. He was teaching in the day and acting on, you know, Broadway, off Broadway at night um, and getting little bits and bits and pieces in television. Um, but someone scouted him in Stratford and, uh, you know, casting um, sort of like spotted him and pulled him out to Los Angeles. And that's why we moved to Los Angeles. And so as a young, as a kid, five, six, seven years old, you know, you look up to your, your models, right? And your models are your mom and your dad and, and your brother. And, you know, one of the first, uh, and your sister and whatever your siblings. And, and, um, you know, one of the first roles that I remember my father having was in a, was in a show called the immigrants. And, um, it was pretty fascinating because Ari played my dad as a kid. And so to see him acting and to see, my father acting and my father telling the story. And there was a, there was a piece in the story of the immigrants of the show where um, uh, the character of Dan Lavetta, who was portrayed by my dad, um, his parents um, perish in one of the big San Francisco fires. Mm. Of like, I think it was the twenties. Yeah. Um, and I could see the, emotional turmoil trauma um expression of art through my father in that moment and that i knew his parents had passed in real life and mm -hmm. i knew that he was relating somehow i learned at a very early age that he was making the connection of past um, history of his own life and fueling it into a character so that we could all relate to it. And it was very moving for me. And I can, I'm moved by it now, actually. Um, uh, and I think that was the one moment where I was like, oh, okay. So I understand that there's an art to this and that there's a psychological connection through the art. Um, so that story represented something for me that um, was a little nugget in me that it was like, oh, maybe I can do this too. And so when my father had, you know, my parents had, my parents had an open house and um, all their actor friends would come around and yeah. hang out in the house. They'd come into the city, wherever they lived and they'd go on their auditions and then they'd come out and hang out and uh, there were lots of stories and a lot of laughter and a lot of bluster and a lot of, um, honestly, a lot of ego and a lot of self-interest and, and, um, but there was always, um, sort of excitement when any of these guys would come around. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember loving to sing and dance as a kid. And, yeah. um, I was always interested in mimicking and doing that thing. And so when they would come over, I would 
if I had an opening where there was a window, I would basically sing and dance. Um, and I'd make them laugh. And, you know, of course, when you see five, six, seven year old kid doing it, whether it's on point or not, if there's confidence and joy within the spirit of that child doing it, that brings a lot of joy, a lot of warmth, a lot of um, love. Now, the flip side of it is, I think early on, I was always searching for what I was always searching for a sort of sort of confidence in mm -hmm. what made me me and how I yeah. could relate because you know you're always wondering who you are no matter how old you are mm -hmm. and I had confidence when I was performing now I think a lot of that was that self um what's it called um that was just the self that was the worth that was the self-worth mm -hmm. i was getting for me um you know one of those guys and i stole this quote from him and i've said it a bunch of times but like one of the re you know people ask me why did you become an actor and it's yeah. because some asshole clapped <laughs> and one of those guys <laughs> i stole that line from one of my dad's friends yeah. Now I've said it a few times and, you know, my father said to me once, he goes, you know, you use that quote, that's all right. But you know who that asshole was yourself. It, no, it turned out to be Papa. <laughs> and so, and so in many ways, you know, I don't think any of us really know what we want to do. We have dreams. You have dreams of being a pro soccer player. I had dreams of becoming an actor and doing what I wanted, but, I think we fall into these um, avenues when we have confidence and mm -hmm. we feel like we may have ability. Mm. And that's sort of the, one of the ways I um, felt accepted. Yeah. To be perfectly clear, it was all about being accepted and that was it. And so I was, um, I was, uh, um, really um what's the word i don't know what the word is i'm spacing on the word right now but look i got a job when i was eight years old and i was putting yeah. a movie and i was on set and i was you know learning what the set was and i had been on a couple sets from going to watch papa work and yeah. and um and i just felt like i should be there and i wasn't really any good at school i wasn't good at math and i wasn't good at english and there are reasons for some of that, but I wasn't really paying attention. No. What I could believe in was, oh, if I can just learn lines, I could figure out a way to commit to that and tell stories. And I think that's how I'll get by in life. Mm. So um, that just snowballed. You know, I, I was thankful that my parents took me out of the business at, at age eight. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, I decided to get back into acting when I found that I had just too many splinters in my ass from sitting on the bench, ninth grade baseball. I just, <laughs> they didn't play me. And I was like, why am I doing this? I could probably act and become a real, become a professional actor, which I th think in my heart, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And so yeah. I decided in 10th grade not to go and play ball to which my coach said on the first day of accepting everybody, you know, 
doing the whole thing of like, Gabriel, are you playing? And I was like, no. He looked at me and goes, good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, I was really angry about that. And I joked about it for many years going, that guy was such an asshole. And then I thought to myself, maybe he was saying something to me like, you know what? The universe is telling you not, you're not an athlete right now. Go and find the art. And so as I look at it that way, I'm, I'm, I'm way more humbled by it. Yeah. How did your father, maybe even the rest of your family, help to um, foster this love of acting in your life? And then also on mm-hmm. top of it, how did they even leave space and encourage you to even follow your own passions or your own um, aspirations, even if they weren't necessarily in acting all the time? You know, my mother had a very big part in me becoming an actor. You know, when, when, um, they all had, my mother had a huge part in, in inspiring me to become an actor in mm-hmm. the sense that she's very artistic. Um, she would always, you know, if you're a kid in my house, um, you come over, there's always, okay, let's go get the magic markers and a piece mm-hmm. of paper, or let's go, let's, we're going to do some watercoloring today. Or, you know, there's always, um, an element of art in our home. There was a piano, we were taking piano lessons. And, and I think that there was always this idea of, oh, why don't you go in with your friends and create a story or tell a story, put on a show, something like that. So that was always sort of the, um, you know, it may have been, you're bored, I don't want you watching television, you're not gonna read a book, go do something that you like to do, mm. go put on a play or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, uh, it was hard. That was hard because I'm not a writer. And so it was hard to put on those shows. Um, um, cause you got to come up with, you know, yeah. a story. Yeah. Um, but she was always opening the window for that. And I think that there was my interpretation of some of it was stealing away and watching something and then coming back and mimicking or coming back and doing a, a part of the, movie that I was watching or something like that, whether it was with a friend or on my own. Um, as I got, you know, I could see the struggle of being an actor in Hollywood and um, the dynamics of um, auditioning and constantly pounding the pavement and deciding, you know, which character, which story and, should I do this job? Should I do not that job? I mean, that was a constant conversation in my house. And I was always listening to the conversation because my father was, um, you know, very engaged in, in, in the business and he was working. Um, it's funny because he didn't work a lot and he was around a lot, but there were times, um, but he worked and made a really good living you know in those years um but it was but i think it was always a bit of a struggle and so what i got from him was oh gosh you don't want to do this you don't want to do this Mm. um and i think he also had to um with me i think there was a certain point maybe it was in high school or something where he said, look, if you want to do this, you got to go to school. There's, there's no not getting an education. So you want to go do this, you learn how to act, and then you'll see if you can do it or not. 
Mm-hmm. So when he gave me that go ahead, that was sort of the rule. It wasn't like, look, I could have gotten an agent at 15, 16, 17, maybe, right? I had the confidence that I thought I could do that at 15, mm-hmm. 16, 17. Um, I saw a lot of my peers get agents in high school. And those guys became professionals. And I think they burnt out. Some of them actually went on and were like soap stars for 30 years and just like played the same role. Or, um, yeah. And that, that's cool. Some of them burnt out. Some of them, had, you know, worked and were very successful. I wanted to take that other route. I always had this image of, you know, you know, when we lived in New York, we went back to New York every, every um, summer to see you know, my grandparents. We'd always go see a Broadway show. So theater was very much a part of our lives. Um, I loved being on the stage. And I always thought, you know what? Maybe I'll go to theater school. And then I'll go to New York. And, and I always had this image in my head. I'll go to New York. And you know, this is where the visioning c- came, comes yeah. along. Some kids yeah. have that and some kids don't. I really did envision that early on. Yeah. I said, oh, go i'll go if i can get into a you know an acting school do that and i'll go to new york and i'll try and get bit parts here and then movies and and i'll have a movie career and it was always about movies in my generation was always about movies and then at a certain point i can we can talk about that later when do you decide to continue that dream and when do you decide that you've got to take care of your family as well Mm-hmm. So that shifted, and also the business shifted. It became the age, the golden age of television again. Television became a different beast, um, and I was incredibly lucky to be part of the the beginnings of where television became yeah. a very prominent art form. Um, you did really hop on at question. the perfect time. I did. I, I, I was, I was really fortunate. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you go to Carnegie Mellon, right? So you, you went to college and, and was, was that like a college experience? Did you feel yourself getting dragged away through that or dragged, you know, more into your intentions, like going to college and kind of looking at other people doing their thing and, and then maybe just that transition from out of college to adult, and then we can start to pick at other questions. But okay, yeah. So um, um, I applied to Carnegie Mellon pre-college programs. So in my eleventh um, grade summer, when I was going to high school, my eleventh grade summer, I went to Pittsburgh and I got in to this drama program, this pre-college drama program, where we took acting and we took movement, we took improv and we took um, dramatic literature, history of drama, we took voice and um, you know, everything that, everything that um, you do in, in acting school. And I really enjoyed myself. I was away, I was living in the dorms, I was with other kids my age, um, you know, I was too old to go to camp. I loved going to camp. Um, and uh, here I was in this other city on my own at however old I was, 17, 16 and a half, 17, and really enjoying myself. I, at the end of that program, you could audition to get into the college. And so I think only two out of the 300 people or something like that. It was like either 150 people in the program and like 
anywhere from like two to five could get in and accepted to the college when you graduated high school. Mm -hmm. And so I was one of those five kids that mm -hmm. got into the college. Wow. So when I got back to high school, my senior year, I was like, look, I pretty much got into college already. Yeah. And so my senior year was very relaxing in many ways. So, you know, you had to do well on your SAT and you had to, you know, pass all your courses to get into the school. But like, so, you know, I did what was necessary to pass those, but I wasn't like, Oh my God, I have to stick my head in the book and, you know, go yeah. crazy on this stuff. And yeah. so, um, it was, uh, so it was an easier year for me in some ways for that final year. Usually that second semester of uh, senior year is a little bit more relaxed for yeah. most kids. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. sort of my whole year, except for mm -hmm. um, like two months, which in the beginning of that first semester, I was lucky enough to land the role of Cyrano de Bergerac in the play Cyrano. Mm -hmm. And Basically, he talks for about two and a half hours. And if you ever look at the play, I mean, speeches, 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 speeches. Wow. Um, a year earlier, there was a movie called Roxanne that was uh, written and uh, starred Steve Martin, who was, you know, an idol of mine. And it's based on Cyrano de Bergerac. And so you guys should watch this film. It's such, such a great film. Mm -hmm. Um. um and so, oh my God, here's like a dream of mine. I get to play the actual role, right? Of Cyrano, who was completely for all, um, I was just, I was, I was cast against type, right? He was the, the fellow with the very long nose and he couldn't, um, you know, he would fall in love and he would never succeed. And um, he had, you know, wit and charm and humor and emotion. Uh, um, he was able to express himself so articulately. And he falls in love with Roxanne. But it's Christian who gets the girl because he's the handsome young stud or whatever, right? Anyway, the... I know I'm sort of like going off, but You're good. This, You're good. there's something here. Um, so we were in about three weeks of rehearsals and I was getting it, you know, in the middle of rehearsal, you know, you're really good in the beginning and then everything is peeled away because you start wandering and start asking questions. And then you're like, you're absolutely terrible in the next three weeks in, in the, like those next two weeks of rehearsal. And then finally you get in front of an audience and you just have to go for it and have confidence and just go. Yeah. Um, the teachers union went on strike right in that, in that mark where I started floundering and just started going, Oh my God, can I do this? Wow. Yeah. And so when we were still going to go up in like two and a half weeks, three weeks, but I remember, I probably shouldn't say this, but the director actually, she didn't necessarily cross the picket line, but she was like, I'm going to be there for you, Gabriel. We're going to work on this together. And we met outside of 
school and she helped me create this role because I couldn't have done this on my, by myself. I had already understudied Romeo in Romeo and Juliet the year before mm. and learned about three speeches. I would have been completely fucked if I did, mm. if I had to go on and the guy didn't, you know, wasn't able to make it. So that was a massive, massive risk and big stupidity on my part that I wasn't prepared for that, but I had to get prepared for this. And part of getting prepared as an actor is you need to know your lines. So I, I worked out how to get them. Um, so that was like a, a, also a bit of a turning point in, mm -hmm. um, that was my first big, big role. And it was a big sense of responsibility. The teachers came back, we did the play and um, it turned out to be an extraordinary experience for me. Um, That's because it gave me a lot of confidence to move forward and to be able to do yeah. this in a different way and to go and go back to Carnegie, which I did. I ended up going to Carnegie for four years. And you know what? I loved going to college because you, um, you're away from home. You figure out that your family's just as fucked up as all the other families that are out there. <laughs> and you learn and you, um, you start, you, you create relationships, you learn, you know, for me, I learned a lot about technique. I learned um, a lot of being on my own and exploring different things. And um, it was a growing experience. There was a lot of um, hiding during that period. Um, but, um, but I think that there was, you know, a lot of trying to work out who you are as a person. And so that was my experience at college. And then I decided I'm going to go to New York. So I followed through with that vision that I was doing. And I, I went to New York and um, I started auditioning for different plays. And um, I had gone to the Williamstown Theater Festival which is a, um, it's a festival uh, in New England, uh, in Massachusetts, in Massachusetts. And um, I, uh, I was in an act, I, I went there for two, two summers. The first summer I was in an act one company, which did experimental theater. And um, I did three plays during that period. And then when I graduated college, I, was asked to come and be one of the equity performers, like the professional, I was in the professional group. Mm. And um, I had done a play um, with Joanne Woodward, who was Paul Newman's wife, who um, was a, uh, you know, she, she's an incredible woman and she gave me basically like, I would say one of my first breaks, wow. um, big breaks. And um, I met some people and one of the fellows that uh, I, uh, I had this, my scenes with um, is a very, very good actor, extremely bright guy and has gone on to win an Academy Award and has, you know, directed some incredible films. You know, he's a good friend of mine. Um, but it was after that experience that I went back to New York and um, I actually auditioned for um, a play that was on, that was, uh, I think it was an off Broadway, but it was in one of the main, main um, theaters, 
but it was Cyrano de Bergerac again. And I got cast as Christian. And that story, I bring that up because it was a big learning experience for me. I did all five weeks of rehearsal. And then um, I did the first week of performances. And um, I was learning and taking risks and creating. And there's a bunch of, uh, you know, I have a bunch of different perspectives on it. But I was replaced after the first week of performances. So I was fired on my, one of my first big gigs. Wow. And that was the big wake up call. Um, but for many reasons, it's, you know, it's the story that you make out of it. And so what do you do with that story? At that point, I took a break for a little bit. I broke my arm snowboarding hmm. and then I came back and I was like, all right, I can't let that story define me. I got to keep on going. And um, I got a few more bit parts. And then I auditioned for a play that, and I think this was the succession. It may have happened before, but I, I auditioned for one of my heroes, Steve Martin, who wrote a play called Picasso at the Le Pan Agile about Picasso and Einstein, an imaginary meeting between Picasso and Einstein in 1904. And they talk about fame and art and science. Wow. And um, I played the visitor um, who appears at the end. And um, uh, it turns out to be a very famous person. So um, it was a real um, opportunity to play someone who has the real life and uh, you know i don't say who it is because i i don't like to give it away if anybody's going to go see the show but yeah. but when i auditioned there's been two times in my life which i was like like beyond touched two of my heroes gave me the gave me the part in the room that's uh, steve martin he gave me the part in the room gabriel i want you to play the visitor wow and the other time was when i auditioned for robert de niro on the film good the good shepherd and he gave me the part mm -hmm. in the room so look, um, I have been fortunate. I've been extremely fortunate. Yes, I have learned a craft and sometimes I'm solid and uh, prepared. Sometimes I'm not. Um, I've, you know, I guess one of the questions is how do you define success and stuff and like, I may have been in some of these projects and have felt success at the time. Yeah. Um, but I will also say, you know, a very large part of it is luck. So much luck. Yeah. And so I am, I continue to be humbled by that. Yeah. I think that, I think that it's a bit of both because it's not like, I it's think hard work plus luck equals yeah. success. That's kind of like, like I just feel in life that when we put our intentions forward and it's clear that you did that and it's clear that you bounced back from the disappointment. I mean, that has to fire you up and make you angry and want to prove something after you get, you know, just cut from this role that you want to do. And also because it has another kind of meaning to you, you know, playing, playing that character and then playing Christian um, you know, so I just think that you self-actualize that. And I think that's, that's really awesome. That's really, really awesome. Um, and it's this idea of like, 
learning your lines, which I think is, it goes beyond just acting. It's like, do you know your lines? Like, have you gotten ready to do what you need to do to be successful? And failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Like, that's just how it is. You need to be ready. And ready doesn't mean you need to be perfect on plan. Ready means, it means you're ready to go with whatever comes forward because you've done the work that you feel like you can do to the best of your abilities. And as a soccer player, that's all I can ask that weekly I prepare for a game and then I'm staying sharp. And for Stefano who just got into USC and is trying to be, um, you know, an NBA uh, agent or a GM eventually, you got to know your stuff. You got to know your, your assets. You have to know your players. And I'm, continually amazed by his ability to be prepared as a student. He's extremely hardworking and, and um, I hope that I can continue to do my best um, as an athlete. And I think that's all you can ask for is just doing the work that it takes to um, be your best self. And it doesn't always look like showing up um, at practice. It also looks like taking care of yourself and knowing when to back away and knowing when to do these things. Um, that really resonates me. The, the remembering your lines part. I just really, I really like that, um, notion because it really, it transcends acting. It transcends everything. Um, it's really just to know thyself It's to know who you are. Um, well, I am constantly, and I'm, I'm constantly trying to unpeel the layers of that. Yeah. I've actually, I've actually known that in ways of being prepared but I've even learned that even more now. It's like, you want to prevent issues, be prepared. And it takes a lot of initiative. And that yeah. is tough. That is a tough thing to learn if responsibility doesn't come naturally to you. Mm -hmm. So if, if you meditate on what does it mean to be, to be responsible and how do you get there, a lot of it, comes down to initiative a lot of it comes down to okay let me put this in an order and plan and organize accordingly yeah um, i was never really good at that i'll be completely transparent i have a very hard time planning i have a very hard time organizing um, and putting going in a in a logical state i have found recently that working out helps that helps my brain there we go. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think a lot I've been of people... doing it. You've been, you've been proud of me, Jasper. I've been running for like the last month, pretty much really? five to six days a week. This is the first wow. time I'm like doing it just so I can get my brain going. And you know, it's like gas for my brain. Wow. Oh yeah. Fluid. It's That's like awesome. oil. It's like oil. You really feel that way? Yeah, I really cool. do. I think that like if, one of the reasons why I haven't really stepped up in some of the things that I, you know, that are important to me, um, I think is because I'm not getting my body moving enough. Mm. So, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really happy that it's like, I got to at least sweat for at least, you know, I got to work out at least 25 minutes a day to get myself yeah. going so that I can get that brain function happening yeah i mean it's it's a natural part of the way we work you yeah. know eating all kinds of foods and making sure that they're healthy and doing all kinds of things with our body 
I'll say it again and again, but yeah, you got to move every day. I think that's the cool thing about the Apple Watch too. We're not sponsored by Apple, but it's kind of cool. It's kind of neat. Apple, yeah, I, just I have mine too. <laughs> but like, it's cool that it's like stand and do this stuff and you, you, you have to compete with yourself. You have to hold yourself accountable. Um, I do. I think it's, I have so much more clarity after training as an athlete. Of course, I need to go and push myself constantly. And that begins to get a little hard sometimes. And you're like, I know I have more potential than where I'm at right now, but my body won't let me cause I'm injured or this and this. And so for me, I have to try and find clarity with like working out as everything that I do when I work out, it's beneficial because everything has intention. So not getting caught up in how much I do, um, how much I miss out on. Um, so that's where I am. But I, I would always say that like, even doing like 20 push-ups makes me feel accomplished. Yeah. Like a good right. 20 push-ups. You know, it's funny. It's like even just the simplest thing, just feeling right. capable, you know? Yeah. I've, I've noticed the same thing, especially I'm kind of like you, I started just like recently in the past six months, the past year of just trying to try to take care of my body a little bit more. And I don't know if you've, re- if you've felt the same thing, but there are times where there are some days where maybe there's no time to work out or there's no time to do something with your body. Um, and those are the days where you really start to like miss and you start to feel a different, um, uh, way that your brain's working a little bit too. Cause you feel a little bit more sluggish, a little bit more, um, asleep in a way. So I feel like, I don't know, I, I, I can relate to that a lot of like just starting to kind of feel what it's actually, what actually doing, um, things with your body and moving a little bit more can do to your actual mental state. Um, I don't know if you, have you felt that in terms of actually like the way that you work and the way your, uh, your craft too? Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, there's so much, um, there's so much waiting around on a set. Yep. And, um, I think, um, when, you know, I, I can, I can tell you for the last 10 years, you know, for the last whatever, nine seasons, you know, I haven't been working in a year. But the for the nine seasons that I was working, you can see if you watch the show, there's tons of walk and talks. Those walk and talks were impossibly hard to shoot because wow. the rat-a-tat-tat, the rhythm of the speech, the the the, the lyrical element, the um, double negatives. It's very hard to speak in in you know the speech patterns that the, the writing. It was very difficult for me. Mm. Now what we got it made it look like this is how these guys talk but it's mm-hmm. a different rhythm and and you know actors would come on saying go how do you do this how do you do this because they trip mm-hmm. over their tongue basically they mm-hmm. trip over the words yeah. um and some people don't notice it they don't notice um but uh just the walking you know a lot of it's like you know tapping your head and you yeah. know, rubbing your yeah. tummy or whatever but like just the walking would get the blood flowing which would help get yeah. your mind going and get your brain yeah. active. Um, there was also, you know, there were a couple years where we were, um, a bunch of us were saying, all right, let's get down and try and, you know, do as many pushups as we can today. You know, there was, we had, um, friendly competitions. Oh God, you've already done a hundred today. Shit, oh, I gotta, wow. I gotta get, I gotta match you, you know, mm-hmm. not in a row, but, um, but there was at one point our, um, our uh, first assistant director, who was a great guy, his name is Skin. 
<laughs> he was built like just a truck. I mean, and was so cut and just so strong. I think one time I beat him 81 push-ups. I know Jasper thinks I don't do the proper wow. push-up, but I did beat him. I did wow. beat him. He did like 78, 79, or whatever. I beat him by one or two. And it was, yeah, when you, when that's a sense of accomplishment. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Little, little accomplishments. It go is. A long way. The little things. Um, so I want to just touch on like that transition to suits, to playing going from like movies um or maybe you can just do like a little like feeling about how you felt about movies and maybe a couple lessons you learned there acting in whatever movies you're in and then kind of moving to suits and like how that was just different so when i started doing film um so I did a couple bit parts in some movies, right? A day here, a day there, a day here, a day there. And then I was doing a play. Um, and then I auditioned for a series um, called The Others uh, that Steven Spielberg produced. And we did 13 episodes of that. And um, that brought me back to LA uh, after living in New York. And um, I could see what it was like to be on a series. The series didn't go, we only did 13 episodes. Um, and I went straight into making movies. I was like, okay, I don't want to do television right now. I just want to make some films. And I was really, really fortunate to work with, you know, a bunch of my heroes. Um, I, uh, what did I, 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 at first I went and I did, you know, what I think is really a kid's movie. They were trying to make it a teen film, but it was mm -hmm. a kid's film. Uh, about Jesse James and his mm. Frank James, but, uh, American Outlaws. Yeah. Um, but look, it was just a bunch of fun being in Austin, Texas, riding horses with a bunch of you know, young guys. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I, I went and I worked on Behind Enemy Lines with, with Owen Wilson and Gene Hackman. And I was like, wow, this is, you know, Owen Wilson was just becoming this very, very big star. Gene Hackman has always, has always been, I, you know, loved his films. And, um, so that was like, these were all like, you know, learning experiences for me to be around guys that had way more responsibility than me because I, again, had these supporting roles. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I went and worked with Anthony Hopkins and Chris Rock and it was a very similar thing, mm -hmm. but I was next to Anthony you know Anthony Hopkins for three months and you know learning just loads from him and what I learned most was the seasoned actors these you know I worked with him and I worked with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and John Travolta and, and it was those guys what I learned was they had done everything and what they wanted was to be treated equal as everyone else. They didn't want the, oh, you know, the um, faux respect, you know? Mm -hmm. um, they wanted to do their art and they were, they were really humble about it. And, um, and then I worked with, you know, Matt Damon for five months on, on The Good Shepherd with, uh, you know, a, a, a slew of like huge stars. And mm -hmm. I really learned from him that like, 
you can do it. You can just put your head down and be present. And that's what, you know, you know, he is super successful because he's so smart. He's um, got so much charisma and he's really just a straight shooter. He doesn't, he's not creating drama. He's not sabotaging himself with the voices in his head. He's really as close to just being, and mm. being confident with who he is and being present. And so I learned most from Matt, actually. But bits and pieces along the way from all these guys. Anyway, I was supporting all these guys throughout. And um, I was able to make one film where it sort of all rested on my shoulders. And not all because it was a, it was a, uh, it was a big comic book film. And you know Frank Miller, um, who wrote and directed me in The Spirit, where I played The Spirit, um, it was a it was a real sort of giant leap and opportunity, but it was also a huge risk because the old spirit, the comic books, was done in a certain way, and he departed from that and made it his own. And I think at some point people will go back to it and see the value of that film. There's um, just some beautiful filmmaking there, and um, I think the uh, joy of what the comics were about was that it was part horror, part noir, part slapstick comedy, part action, part um, uh, comic book movie and all this stuff. Yeah. And when you watch the film, I don't know about you guys, if you, if you read comics, I find that comics are a little bit slow, you know, mm -hmm. it's a little bit slow. Um, and then there's action, back, pow, pow, all that stuff. But then it's like very slow. And that's what this movie was. It was, it was literally like taking a comic book and throwing it up on the screen. Wow. It wasn't what these Marvel films are, which is constant action, constant movie, yeah. constant, constant, constant. And so it was a bit of a real risk to put this film out there. The problem I found was the release date. They put it on a Christmas day. They thought it could be as big wow. as the other big, 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 big movies. And we had, there were a bunch of names and it's Sam Jackson, who's terrific and Scarlett Johansson and Mendez and Sarah Paulson and I, but, but I wasn't Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt and um, Will Smith. And I think two of, two of the three of those guys also had movies opening on that date. So mm. um, if the film had been released a month or two later, maybe there would be a spirit two or three who knows mm -hmm. um but uh so that was a real sort of wake up call as far as the business goes yeah. and um it was it was um it was a heartbreaker for me because i was really invested in it and i i yeah. thought that it warranted um a real artistic approach to comic book movies which is yeah. different than all the other comic book movies but it also for me um, it gave me that experience. Um, I loved the actual um, process of making that film, the artistry that went into it, the working out. I was in the best shape of my life during yeah, that. I was going to say mentally and physically, that was a role. That's the first time. Because yeah. you see now like so much how people like change their bodies like for roles. Like I think like yeah. the examples would be like people who are in like Marvel movies who just like yeah. have these crazy transformations. 
but also like um, Matthew McConaughey, like for the one where he just loses all his weight, you know, which right. is Christian Bale. Insane. Yeah. Right. Christian Bale. So, Those guys, yeah. You know, it takes so much discipline. And you, when you put your body through it and you go through these transformations, it becomes more personal too, you know? Yeah. Like I think that's that, right. Like, you're part of that. You really, you were physically that character now. You're not just Gabriel. Yeah. You're, you are that character. Well, I think there's an element of all the characters yeah. that you become. And that's, you know, great for the audience and great for um, taking on these different characters and these different ideas and these different and, and different spirits. And maybe they help teach you more about yourself so that you can be more grounded, more present in, in, in your life. Um, but it also can, you know, fire up stuff at home and with your relationships, your personal relationships, unless you have a real handle on it and you leave it at work. Mm. Um, those are challenges along the way um, because you get into such a mindset of a character and of a personality that it's, it's hard to shake sometimes. Really? That's interesting. Like you yeah. just find yourself that you really be devoted this much time to this character and you want to do well on it. And it's hard to kind of escape that reality. Some of, it, some of it's that, some of it's a bit more unconscious. Some of mm. it is, you know, you know, when I played Harvey, I yeah. felt like I was not so much that character moving it, you know, yeah. starting it out. And mm. if you ask anybody, they'll all say, Oh, I think Gabriel was the least like Harvey as anybody else was the least, you know, least like their character. At a certain point of filming, it was actually your dad who said to me, um, maybe Harvey's a little bit more like you than you think he is. And that brought a really different awareness um, to my uh, understanding of the guy and my understanding of myself. And, um, you know, at a certain point, the character and the human, the, the actor, sort of are like, they're sort of bifurcated, right? They're separate. But then mm -hmm. at a certain point, when you're playing this character for so long, they sort of come together in a way. Yeah. If they come together and the character has too many behaviors that don't work in the personal life, that can really fuck things up and create conflict and create a bunch of stuff and i think at times his aggressive nature and his insecurities harvey's insecurities and his um defensiveness and his approach to doing what was right often was intertwined and became or was always who I was. And maybe that's why, maybe I was actually more in line with who Harvey was than any yeah. of the other, you know, I don't, I don't have to compare other, other people, yeah. but I'm just saying like that, that there was a reason, look, the universe, if you, if you look for the signs, the universe opens these doors to tell you about yourself. And um, that character basically opened a big door for me in my, um, to question my behavior yeah. in, in certain realms of life. And um, 
And that's a good thing. It's whether or not you do something with it right. to make the positive changes. I mean, that's true. When, when things in art um, and books and movies and experiences, they, they, they beg the question. And it's from that question that then you have to take accountability for listening and taking what needs to be taken from it and growing and adapting or you ignore it. I think there's a lot of times recently that I am really just trying my best to see every situation as an experience, not as a bad one or a good one. It's something that I can learn from and I'm trying. That's the hardest lesson that I'm working on um, is just experiencing them and, and, and growing from them. Um, but I, I do think it's cool that you are able to say, you know, I, I really grew a lot from playing this person because it is you and it isn't you who you're playing. Um, and I just think that's really, it's really neat when you, you make yourself better for the work that you do. That's how, you know, you're, you're doing something right. You know, even if it brings up the hard questions, you know, that you can't bring up on your own, then you must be doing something right. Um, so, you know, um, so, yeah, and I, I kind of yeah. want to know when you took on this character, um, I know you might've been a little slow getting into it. Like you said, just kind of truly coming into your own as uh, Harvey Specter, yeah. but as the show went on, how did it impact you to start seeing the success of the show and start also seeing the impact your character had specifically on, you can even say a generation of TV viewers and um, how did that change you as a person as well on top of just playing the character? Um, well, when we first started, um, you know, it was, it was really just, it was, it was really uh, great to have a job. Um, I liked what the character had to say in the pilot. Um, I had um, um, a few issues in that, when we first started, I thought we were going to be working, you know, the, the show took place in New York. I thought we were going to be shooting in New York and I love New York. And I thought, okay, this is time to move back to New York. It's great. Um, when that didn't happen and we had to shoot in Toronto, look, I, um, you know, I now have a, uh, a real strong appreciation for Toronto and loved the crew that we worked with and everyone, but it was a very big challenge for me to be working in another country and having my wife and daughter back in Los Angeles and having to, um, wanting, wanting to be with them and not asking of my wife to like sacrifice everything of her life to come and be with me. And so, um, so I would travel back to LA, you know, as, as much as I could, that can take a toll on, you know, your personal life in the sense that like, like you say, you know, you need to get exercise to get your brain functioning properly. You also need your sleep and you need to be eating well. So I was working, you know, 14, 16 hour days and then going back, um, back and forth to LA that first year. Um, there was some, some of that year they actually did live with me in Toronto and, you know, there was always traveling. Um, but then, you know, in year three, they were living in New York because my wife was working on a show in New York. And then in year 
I think five. Um, my wife got a, uh, a role on that show Bloodline for Netflix that was shot in the Florida Keys. So I was traveling from Toronto mm-hmm. to Miami, oh getting God. in a car, driving two and a half hours down to, to uh, the Florida Keys, wow. being with them at, you know, maybe I, so I'd work a full week, right? 80 hour week or more, whatever it is for whatever 14 to 16 hour days are five days, six. I would finish work at about four in the morning, go straight to the airport, six, take a six o'clock flight, get there at nine, nine 30 to Miami, jump in a car and drive two and a half hours. I'd get to the keys by 12. I'd have a day and a half. No, I'd have pretty much 28 hours in the keys with a newborn son get back in the car at three o'clock on Sunday, drive up to Miami, make uh, an eight o'clock. It was the last flight, eight o'clock, rate 55, I think it was back to Toronto. I get back into my apartment at 11 o'clock, go to sleep at 12 and I'd be up at 5 a.m. to work at six the next day. Wow. That went on for a year. That's intense. That was intense. That's intense. Uh, and then um, we finally bought a place in Miami. And <laughs> so it was less that drive every week. Cut out the but drive. I did that for pretty much three years when they were not with me up in Toronto. And there were times that they were. Um, but when we were working at the same time and Jacinda was working down in Florida, that was, that was, the, um, that was the process of, of making family work. And that was every single weekend. So I could see my kids and be with my wife. Um, the show became very popular, I think, in like the second or third year. Um, you know, for all of those years, uh, it was one of the top 10 shows that were pirated all over the wow. world you know that mm. like game of thrones is always number one but we yeah. were always in like five or six or seven something like that and so whether or not people were paying for it people were watching it and they were aware of it and it became a phenomenon of sorts and people really did respond to harvey's character they thought he was brash and confident and you know solid and he had a heart of gold and he was witty and funny and he didn't have emotion and he was, you know, cover and, and guys could relate to him. Um, it took a couple of years of, uh, uh, talking with the, with the showrunner to give Harvey more of a heart and more of a vulnerability because we all are vulnerable. Yeah. All men are vulnerable we have been conditioned and told not to be and we've been told stand up be a man get through it now i have a real strong aversion to um that conditioning in that way of patriarchy yeah and what i'm learning now is kids need to feel little boys need to feel what they're feeling and not feel shamed for sure for whatever they're feeling they should yeah. have the space to feel. Yeah. And what was, I think, really good about what happened with Harvey is that little by little, the characters, you know, we peeled that onion and we were able to show that he did have 
trauma in his life and he didn't know how to deal with it. But slowly but surely, he got in touch with his emotions. He got in touch with sharing his emotions and he got in touch with being less aggressive maybe at times, choosing not to be so aggressive, choosing not to be so uber confident, choosing not to be um, uh, an asshole because very often he was. Um, so I, I hope, I really hope that the people that watched the show, they watched for those nine years or whatever, could see the arc and relate to that being okay for men to reveal themselves, for men to be vulnerable, to men to share. And hopefully they learn not to do it his way. There's too many guys that I think are not seeing it properly and they see the bluster, they see the ego, they see the confidence, and they see that the only way they're gonna get to, to success or whatever is to be that locomotive and, and move through um, whatever it is they're going through, whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. I think there's gotta be a balance, really being in touch with who you are and taking those masks off because that mask anger or aggression or you know, whatever sexual mass, whatever it is, yeah. it's sabotaging. It's sabotaging you. You're not what you really truly are, which is just your soul is, is not all that stuff. It's just not. Your soul is pure yeah, and it's loving and it's love. It's really, it's really about love. Yeah. Very true. So, to to just to shift that the, the whole fame thing was very hard for me. Yeah, it's a catch. Uh, you know, you, you um, get opportunity and you get you know sort of a notoriety, but all of that is ego. If you if you uh, succumb to all that stuff, that's all ego. Um, yeah. It was very hard for me. Um, the uh, the the fanaticism that came with the show at times. I mean, there were days where um, we were working on the streets of Toronto and we had the best fans. I mean, we had like super, super loyal fans, but I wasn't playing soccer in front of them. And there were three, 400 people coming out to set, to watch us oh get out of a car, talk to another person, walk into a building. It got to a point where there were fans out watching us on the street all the time. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't ready. I wasn't mature enough to accept it. Um, I would get the locations guys to like put up tents so that I could just hide because it was scary to me. I had just too much fear to mm. engage in it. Yeah. Um, it was like too much attention on me. It was just too much attention. Yeah. Um, but I was able to accept it and finally say to myself, I'm here. I can't push this away. I've, um, I became very grateful and became appreciative of the, um, energy of positivity towards the show yeah. and hoping that whatever stories we were telling were resonating with people yeah. that could make their lives better. And that was in a way a version of me giving my service service to, yeah. to people, whether that's an escape or whether that's relating to what the characters are going through, all that stuff. So, I have been 
there's a, and, and there's always a boundary that comes up with becoming fame. It's like everyone says, oh, you want fame? And once you get it, you want to give it right back. Um, if everyone could really, really respect people's privacy mm. when they became famous yep. and not feel like they deserved a selfie and all that kind of stuff, then fame might be not a bad thing. But um, I think it's very challenging and it's... Uh, yeah. It's a little twisted in the ownership of it. People. Yeah. People don't talk about that side of being an actor a lot. And it's, it's reassuring to have someone in my life, have an uncle who is in a, is in a place where he's worked hard to get to and in a place where society calls it great and saying, you know, it, it really is what you make of it. And it's what you make of that situation. And it's not all the glamour and it's not all that it's, it's how you perceive it. Um, so I appreciate that transparency. And for anyone listening, I mean, that's the kind of transparency you have to have in whatever situation you are in is to see what it is for what it is. But I think also being an actor, I think it seems like you, you've kind of seen, well, I do have a really profound positive effect on people. I do have this ability to make change. I think that's a, a wonderful part about being um, uh, in the spotlight is that you, you can do great things and people can hear your voice. Um, uh, yeah. And then just yeah. to kind of um, close it out a little more um, because I know you got to get places and we have to get places as well. Um, I wanted to ask you just some advice, some simple advice that you would just give. And it's not, hundred percent advice. It's just your two cents on the business and on, um, climbing your ladder. What would you tell someone who has these big dreams like you had, who's sitting at the bottom of the mountain, looking up and starry eyed and, you know, what would you tell them, um, to tell themselves and try to listen? Um, what advice what do you give um, one piece of advice? Right. So look, the business is, is different now than it was 20 years ago. Um, when I started 25 years ago, when I first started. Um, but I think that there's one universal thing that maybe is the same, which is if, if you can generate your own material, and be the owner of your material, then you are your own boss and you can make the content. You gotta ask for favors. You gotta link arms with talented people, talented friends of yours. Um, that might mean you need to take a class uh, to meet some people if you're just starting out, if you don't know anyone. It might mean that you got to get your friends to, uh, you got to bribe them to be in a scene with you, even if they're not actors or whatever. You've got to create it yourself. If you get, if you if you're an actor and you want to be a storyteller, or whatever, you got to put that on tape. It's free now. These phones can do so much. You have to put your head down, figure out how to, you know, cut some stuff together. Um, and you gotta just be diligent, I guess, and send your stuff out. You gotta cold call people. You gotta 
you know, in many ways, you've got to be a, um, your own producer, your own director, your own actor, your own writer, your own, you know, makeup artist. I mean, for me, you know, watching as much film was, was a deep dive for me, was, was helpful for me. Um, um, being straight with people, not bringing drama. Um, I think one of the big things that um, uh, guided me was as, as being an actor, I was never, no, I won't say that. I was gonna say I was never in competition with my other actor friends. Um, for me, whenever I was, I would never get the job. For me to mm. get the job, it was really just about me preparing. <laughs> That's true. And mm. being in competition with myself to come through and be responsible and yeah and that's all you can ask for you can't beat yourself up every time you gotta let the rejection go it's very hard it's very hard um but i guess you know a lot of this stuff is mindset and if we can release the characters in our brain that sabotage us and work on some of the um, weaknesses that we might have and strengthen those, then I think it can be a more peaceful journey in getting up the mountain. You know? yeah. um, I think that's, that's where I would advise. Okay. But all of that plus a little luck goes a long way. Very well said. I think that's magnificent. I think that's a wonderful way to wrap it up. Wonderful way to wrap it up. Um, so last quick fire question. What are your, what are your top, you know, couple books, couple books and your favorite movies that you would say you gotta watch them that you just love? Um, well, uh, I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm into uh, Eckhart Tolle's The New Earth. I'm uh, Gary Zukov, The Seed of the Soul, and um, Spiritual Partnership. These are these are really sort of must reads. I I I think for you know for your generation, even my generation, you know, I think um, Lewis Howe's Mask of Masculinity is a really good book for young yep. men. That was good. Mm. Um, and um, uh, you know, when I was your age, I was reading The Peaceful Warrior. Um, and that is a really, um, that's a really great one. Um, uh, now, what else? Uh, so movies, you know, movies. Um, then you like Frankenstein? You know, that, oh my God, Young Frankenstein is amazing. Um, you know, Anything Mel Brooks is pretty mm. awesome. Um, you know, Roxanne is a great film. The Jerk is a great film. If you go into comedies, you know, Waiting for Goffman is also one of my favorites. Spinal Tap. This is Spinal Tap. It's just, you know, you can't go wrong. I'm still also really, you know, a big fan of like Superman 1 and Superman 2 and, you know, the um, all of, you know, the Spielberg, you know, Jaws, even though, you know, it's probably one of the most um, horrifying films in the sense that it created fear in so many people's lives. And, you know, 
the act of going into the ocean is just like it's a fearful thing people just yeah. think of that when they go and you know it's such a strong message of what film can do to create unneeded fear you know i actually i um think that there's a whole like look i love i love the rockies and i love the yeah you know some of the you know you know, Mission Impossible. So, some of these big action movies, I love as a visual spectacle. Yeah. But I also think that at times they're not, they're really not great for the mass people. Yeah. Um, violence is, um, it's an escape, but it also dulls our um, sensitivity to all of it. Mm. And um, what we really need is love and we need compassion. We need, um more films about just people caring for each other the only problem is it does it, it, it's it's harder to make drama and conflict without showing some of the um, elements of this um, yeah. uh, there's a great book that i'm reading and i would i would say um, this is something that people should be reading right now it's called the will to change and it's uh, by Bell, Bell Hooks. I think it's Bell Hook or Bell Hooks. Um, and it's really about men and love and, and patriarchy and how, how systemic it is in all, in all of society's um, purview. And something we really got to change because the entitlement and the, um, the thinking behind it is really, really destructive. And yeah. it's too bad because it really separates all of us and makes us di divided. It doesn't bring us all together and bring equality. Yeah. Fantastic. I think those are some great book recommendations. If you guys want to check those out, be sure to uh, go check them out on Amazon or something and buy them because this guy knows what he's talking about. Um, um, a little bit, a little bit. I'm still learning. I'm still, still learning. We're all still learning. Um, Gabriel, as always, I love you, man. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, and uh, we hope you guys join us on the next episode of Make the Jump. Make the Jump.